Welcome to New Type Flash. Uh, we are a podcast where every other week we come to you and talk to you about uh, Gundam Universal Century in a more or less chronological order. Uh, this week we are starting something new. We are going with the 08th MS team. Uh, for this episode, we're going to be talking about the first three episodes. Um, and we're still on the on our one-year war kick. So this is kind of um, the second side story. The the last episode, um, if you listened, was uh, the here an assassination plot. So now we're jumping to Earth and, uh, what is it, South America? No, Southeast Asia. Southeast and, Asia, the yeah. jungles. And we've ruined more or less chronological because this starts on October 6th of 0079. It's literally impossible to do one show at a time and go I chronologically. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, we didn't start with, uh, what, Thunderbolt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We didn't start with the first, was that, like, two minutes of Gundam Unicorn episode one and then stop <laughs> and then... <laughs> yeah. That would That's be fun, but also a nightmare. <laughs> That's why I said more or less. <laughs> kind of, um, sort of. Listen, it'll get better when we get out of 0079. <laughs> maybe we'll see <laughs> not good better all right um so let's go ahead and start like uh so as we said they're they're basically in the jungles of uh southeast asia this is during um the the one-year war um things have been going on for a while now um and you're kind of you're kind of seeing it's almost like a vietnam like um callback so this was like 08th was what uh 95 that it came out yeah really early 96 yeah. but all the previews and such were 95 yeah yeah um so yeah you you we kind of get like this whole i don't know vietnam redux with the, the 90s throwback so it, like it definitely had very like very very strong uh vietnam like yeah now type feel well, and I think that's just because that's the most recent thing pretty much anybody's had really seen at that point. Because, as, I mean, that was shortly after, like, the Gulf War and stuff like that. Right. But not not far enough that they would be, like, writing an entire storyboard off of it. So, right. Um, so, yeah, we, we kind of go in and we're at this um, Federation base. Uh, we, we see the, you know, the Zero Fourth team is running late from one of their missions. Um, and we get to see a uh, mechanic pilot uh, named Karen, uh, who apparently has a history of causing her commanders to have mental breakdowns. Um, um, was this before or after the space stuff? This is before. This yeah. is like the first scene. Yeah. The first scene or two is, is introducing the, the people on earth. Um, Cause then we see this dude, that with a, we we figure out who he is later, but we we're, he's unnamed right now. But um, this guy with the '90s hairdo, listening to metal and just jamming out with his Walkman. <laughs> yeah, and don't forget Gidon, the uh, other mechanic that's there, the old guy, and he's drunk. Oh yeah, he's always drunk. He's my favorite. The uh, the guy jamming out to metal. I said to you guys reminds me of. Uh, I first saw him and I'm like, oh, that's like Eo Fleming, but he's like good. a he's like a version of eo fleming that you don't really hate from the beginning <laughs> i loved eo fleming from the beginning to the end so well you weren't meant to <laughs> don't care loved him 
All right. Uh, yeah. So we we get to see that. So it kind of like sets the the scene because oh eight is mostly on Earth. So um, now we go to space <laughs> for a brief stand. Yes. Um, so they're coming from side two. Um, it's a, a shuttle full of cadets and trainees and stuff like that. Um, Ensign, like all low level ensigns, I think. With the exception of, well, uh, I think Sh- I think Shiro is the only commissioned officer on there. I, I don't th- think that Mikel Mikel's the other guy that's on there, right? Mikel's there, yeah. And then uh, I don't think he's a I don't think he's an officer. No, he's not. And then Sanders, I think, is there. Um, he's what is he? He's a CPO. Sanders Looks- is not on the, on the ship though. So that yeah, Sanders comes in very shortly. So like. Um. Yeah. So yeah, we'll get to him. They're and they're coming from side two, side two. Yeah. 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 So these guys are just sounds like these these soldiers are just kind of like they don't know what they're in for, right? So like we we know what they're in for because we've already seen a lot of the one year war stuff. But these guys are just like YOLO. Like we're gonna party, you know, go down to Earth, have fun. Um, most of them hadn't ever been to Earth. Um. Yep. Uh, and then they run into a space battle. Yeah, they see it all, kind of off in the distance, and uh, they see, uh, I think they see Zaku's, I can't remember if they confirmed they were Zaku's right away, but they, they see the Zaku's fighting, they can't really tell what's going on, um, but their initial thought is, okay, we can probably sneak on by. And then Shiro's like, ah, hell no. We gotta get in this. Yeah, so he jumps into a ball, an RB79K. Yeah, he jumps into the ball, which is uh, actually great uh, kit, by the way, if anyone's ever built one. The ma- the Master Grade balls are great. Just I've never it. seen one, but I would... I, the, I, version, the version Ka one is really, really good. Um, I like that one a lot. There's a 08 MS Team-specific one that's actually all orange, but not as good. Yeah, it looks like it's a basically a con, like a space construction suit that's been retrofitted with weapons. Yeah, these are what's the nickname with the Federation soldiers of balls? Is it is it flying coffins? Yeah, mobile coffin or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last model kit I built of one was it came out while it was the uh, 08 MS team. No, excuse me, it was the high grade Universal Century one, and I think it it was around the time this was airing on Toonami and like right. one. So no, and that was a decent little kit. I mean, very quick and, and easy, but generally kind of fun. I actually haven't done the high grade one, but the master, the master grade ones are pretty legit. They're I mean, cheap too for a master grade. I think it's like 30 bucks for a master grade. That's not bad. Are they pretty like, are they a lot of pieces or is it pretty simple? Um, it's not as complex as like a, full mobile suit or anything like that, but it's, it's, it's a fun little kit to throw together. Yeah. A lot, so, of, a lot of like mechanical detail. Yeah. And speaking of mechanics, I had actually taken some notes about uh, what the ball that Shiro is in is, is, and how it compares to the regular ball. Okay. Um, so we can compare balls. Nice. <laughs> uh, all right. So this one has uh, larger arms. So the arms are a bit longer uh, the general idea is that whereas a regular ball is meant for more about being like a long range artillery unit, this is a medium or close range kind of variant. 
Um, that's why the balls are just, if you really get into a fight, you're dead because they're made to be hanging back and laying down artillery fire. Uh, because the regular ball has a single 180 millimeter cannon with no recoil. But this one that Shiro is in, the uh, Type K, um, it instead has a pair of those that have a higher fire rate. And then also, like any good Batman, it has a grappling hook. It has two grappling hooks. It has all the grappling hooks it needs. Yeah, yeah it, it, it was really cool because the, the way he fought was just like completely unexpected. Uh, like he he essentially like attaches these grappling hooks to the zaku and just like ties it up kind of like a tie fighter style and uh then gets right in its face and is like trying to help um sanders who's the guy that's in the uh busted up mobile suit get back to the ship um and the zaku is the zaku is a modified zaku right it's uh i forget the name of it uh, it is the MS06RD-4 Zaku High Mobility Test Type. What all of that means is that they took a Zaku and then they put what would become the Rick Dom's thrusters on the feet to test out those. Yeah. Um, and then Sanders' GM is the GM early type, uh, and that is essentially a test unit for the GMs that you see later in the show that are in space, the GM Kai. Uh, yeah. Really, I think all that was was uh, let's draw the GM a little bit different, and we can put out different model kits, and we'll just say it was a prototype. Yeah, I mean standard Gundam fair. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> but you know, it's it's funny though because I sent you guys this on YouTube. So if you go on YouTube and look up the early promo uh, trailer for the show, or if you have the Blu-ray set, it's on disc one as special animation clip. They have some. Uh, like early versions of scenes from this first episode, including the space battle. And they're in like, I in a regular Zaku too. Sure. is in a regular ball. So at some point during the production process, they changed them over. And it's kind of like, it, it kind of looks like a, a Zaku. That's a different color with a couple parts slapped on. So that is literally what it is. Yeah. yeah. It, it, do you think they just like started from scratch or they just changed it and made it up as they went? Yes. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> they did what they needed to do plot wise to get out a new model kit. <laughs> the fact that the early trailer has regular versions of suits and then the final production one doesn't tells me that at some point someone at sunrise went, Hey, you know, Bandai would really like to put out some new kits. <laughs> <laughs> We've got this new show. What can we do with it? New kits. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, yeah. So he, uh, Shiro, basically jumps out of the ship, wraps up the, the, the Zaku um, and allows um, Sanders to escape because his, his suit and all of his um, allies are pretty fucked up. Actually all of his, his squad is dead, but um, Sanders is able to, to escape off. And, um, and this is where, you know, these, these long range guns are, even though like Shiro's right in the Zaku's face, he can't really do much because the cannon, the the uh, the mu- the muzzles or whatever they call it are just too long. Again, um, he's, in a, he's in a ball. What's that? Again, yeah, he's in a ball. ball. Yeah, so like the, he's like right in the the Zaku's face, but he basically has to suicide attack at that point. Um, <laughs> and uh, they blow each other up, and uh, they they somehow esca- escape the explosion. I I always like think it's weird how um 
different ex- Gundam explosions and Zaku explosions are like different, like will affect people differently in space because they seem to be right on top of the explosion, but they somehow just got um, blown off to this ex- wreckage. I, mean, I think if we're accepting explosions can even happen in space, then <laughs> let's just throw the physics out of it. So I knew that Lane would not like this part, so I took notes on exactly what happens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it all so, starts with the note of Lane's pissed. Uh, you know, I didn't put that, but I, I could have. Uh, so they bail out bef- like well before the explosion. They, they know they're going to explode. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They yeah. bail out well before, and they... that the wrecked ship that they end up in, they are taking shelter there when they watch both of these suits explode. Yeah. But it seems like there's only like a second in between in on the show. Like when I watched it, I, I didn't get, cause I was watching for this. So I was like, cause I knew it was going to happen. This, this isn't my first watch through of this. So I was like, Oh, so they got, they're going to go off to the ship. And like, it just seemed really convenient that they didn't get blown up in that. Like, Oh yeah, it's quick. They don't elaborate on it, and the storyboarding is moving it very fast. But yeah. that's the general blocking of it. Yeah, I mean that's what we call plot science. Yeah, of course it is. I just, you know, it's funny to laugh at sometimes, right? <laughs> exactly. I this epi- like this is one of my favorite episodes of of the show. So I'm I'm not knocking it at all. Oh, yeah, this, this is why I'm the perfect consumer. I never once questioned it. <laughs> yep. Well, and and we then get some exposition from Sanders when because he's now gotten that they've gotten that GM like towed back to the shuttle that they were on, and he's like, oh, they've only got about two hours of air, so he's able to build that tension. Yeah, um, you know, a little bit indirectly. Do you guys feel like they established previously that the suits had limited air supplies, and then in some instances they don't? I feel like that was inconsistent throughout the series. Yeah. I don't- I don't remember them mentioning it very much. Um, there, there aren't really a lot of scenes where this matters. Right. You know, usually if it's a space scene and they're in a normal suit, it's a precaution and not because they're actually exposed to vacuum or anything like that. So, And I think the few episodes, and I can't remember exactly which series it is, but where somebody is out floating in space, they don't necessarily mention that the person is on like a limited air supply, um, but they do rush to find the person as quickly as possible. Yeah. I think it makes me actually think about it for the first time, whether or not they had some sort of life support system or if it was just like stored air. To and be I fair, okay. don't have an answer. <laughs> to be fair to sunrise, this would have been airing when wing was getting into its later quarter. And in wing, there were some plot point moments about, you know, like the weekly build up the tension where they're like, Oh, we're going to cut off the air to this location or something like that. Mm-hmm. And will they get out on time? So for the time period, it was consistent for what they were doing. If not sure. necessarily the series as a whole. Sure. You know, there's just get a space to air converter. The ship it's a it's a wreckage just like most things in space at this point and uh in the one year war um and well, they're going through the shoal zone right yeah i think so yeah like the out like the upper atmosphere of earth type thing like high what is it high earth orbit or whatever right mm-hmm. um yeah so they they make it to this ship that's been blown up um, and it's basically like this long series of scenes that shows like Shiro 
going through and like trying to find some some place to like live or like survive for a little bit because he mentioned you know he knows he's running out of air and then um we see the other pilot started coming through and so then they start chasing uh, shiro starts chasing after the other pilot which turns out to be a woman they kind of have like a shoot off a shootout um shiro comes out ahead and offers her to patch her up uh because she's hot (laughs) um kind of a she's kind of a dick about the whole thing and tries to shoot him yeah, well, she's coming from the point that that he's an enemy soldier, and he's kind of coming from the point that uh, we need to survive, and we need each other to survive right now. Let's figure out what to do as that as we get there, right? And yeah. she's yeah, I mean, I know, it's kind of my it's kind of our first introduction to Shiro kind of waffling on his duty of killing Zeons. I think what's also going on here is that. He he's knows the Federation ship well enough, or at least the general idea of it, uh, that he's thinking there should be a portable radio or some signal flares somewhere. And he suggests that they split up to look. So he's probably knowing that he wouldn't be able to go around the entire thing on his own in time. Right. Um, True. I, I kind of took it as that, but a little bit of what you said, too. I think I didn't think that until I watched later episodes. And I just saw kind of consistent. Yeah. He's like, I'll do it when it's convenient, but I don't really have any desire to do it, or I'm kind of against it. I don't know. He's not a, a guy of strong convictions, except yeah. if it's for waifu. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they eventually, like... Um... Well, there's an important moment here. She gives him her watch, because his has been busted in yes. the shootout. So that's they... because they want to meet up in 10 minutes, and he doesn't have a way to tell time. Yeah, so I I know I take note at one point, and I and I can't remember the exact scene, but this is before like they find everything. It says their genitals float towards each other. Porn music plays. So like there's there's a scene where like after she's kind of like cool with them, like they're horny for each other, and there's like m- maybe some um, subcontext there that they might have like you know boned or something. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't think they boned in space at this point, but there is some subtext already going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the music's like very much like '90s um, Kenny G, like <laughs> you know, let's let's get it down type thing. Um, so yeah, they 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 yeah, they're looking for safe. They they mention that they've got this limited amount of time, about two hours. Yeah. Um, she gives him her her watch, which looks nice and Ziani. Um, it does look blatantly Zionic, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a. a diamond shape with all of like the wings and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's that typical Xeon overdone, like romantic design. Right. Um, so yeah. Like Proto Victorian Nazi inspired. design. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So anyway, at this point the GM is fixed up enough and they, so Sanders goes out to, to look for him. Um, and they find a, a rocket launcher, and yeah, they sh- they float off somewhere. So like the 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 relation of where they are to where they were and everything is very confusing to me because like they float off somewhere, um, they shoot a rocket, and it looks like they're in the middle of nowhere at this point, and they blow up another ship, or or the ship that they were in. I believe it was the ship they were on. Yeah, 
and but they're really far away because the, the explosion is like way off in the distance and then they they hug each other and more Kenny G music plays and and I say my comment is that they were hug, hugging each other because now they know that it was a dumb idea to blow that ship up when they were so far away from uh, it. Well, it was a big it was a big gamble for them and I think I think they acknowledged that it's a it was kind of a big risk to do it um but I I kind of did I thought the same thing I thought it was kind of dumb of them or at least very high risk versus I don't think they had a lot of options but at the same time it was like well, maybe maybe they were just hoping somebody would scan the area for life science. Maybe I missed it, but they had no indication that people were even like in their vicinity at, when they did it, did they? So I think they both knew that their their crews were in the area, right? Like her support and his support was still in the area, and I guess they just had the hope that like they didn't assume they were dead and run off, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're just doing whatever they can to try to call attention to the general location as a way to let those crews know that are again, in the just sort of general vicinity that there is some sign of life out there. Something is still happening. Yeah. Yeah. So we finally get her name. Um, she introduces herself as, as like, so like the, the Xeon ship comes up to them and, um, she's like pushes him away and is like, uh, my name's Ina Sahalin, um, peace. And, um, he's like, He's giving her watch. Or he tries to give her the watch back, but she says no. Um, she forgets it. Did she say? Did she forget it? Yeah, she just forgets it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, he didn't want to be held prisoner. And then the the Zaku or uh, Sanders shows up, gets him, and everybody's basically like, "Yeah, it's not worth the fight right now. Let's let's not." Uh, yeah. Well, the uh, the GM is not really capable of fighting at all. It was just barely capable of getting out there. The Zaku could have just wrecked him. And Aina, we see that she actually does care a little bit about Shiro already because she convinces the Zaku pilot, hey, that thing is damaged. It's not going to fight us. You can just leave it alone. Yeah, it's not worth the time. Um, so, yeah, at this point, um, Shiro gets back on the transport vessel. They start heading back to Earth. And then we get the like the real first clue of when in the timeline this is happening. Uh, we see Giran giving his um, Garma's dead rah rah speech, yeah. and the episode kind of fades out at that point. Yeah, it helps you put it in the context of the original show because the opening of it is a, a title card with the actual date, but it helps you is put. It the date? I thought it just said zero zero seventy nine. It says ten six zero zero seventy nine. I must have just missed that then. Yep. The interesting part here, I'm assuming you guys watch subtitles, but I watched the dub. I watched the dub this time around. The first time I watched the show, I watched it subtitled. And this time I was like, I'm going to give the dub a chance. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's not a bad dub. It's not like they they were doing better dubs even when this happened, but it's not bad. Uh, And I I just think it's funny that Giran and then later in the show, uh, they still mentioned it as the Duchy of Xeon. And that's really not a term you hear them use in a lot of the official media anymore. They go with principality. Um, yeah. But in the 90s, Duchy of Xeon was generally the term that you would see used. And I was like, oh, wow, I put LOL old term. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's and episode one. And at some point, I noticed that they released a uh, creepy Ina like waifu statue. Oh, no. uh, her, with her um, pilot jacket open suggestively. Oh, that's 
That's not cool. It's it sold not out. Her character at all. It's, and it's yeah. sold out everywhere. That's funny. $118. So, uh, not bad for one of those kinds of statues. I guess I never bought one. So I, I can't imagine. I haven't either, but you know, being in a toy collecting circle as well, I know, I, I know people that do, and, and that's not that bad. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen them before, like in Japan, like where they've got like the fully painted and done up mobile suits. They'll have like the waifu statues too. And man, that's crazy. I mean, I guess if you were like in love with the character, just like straight up in love with the character, I could see it. But when you don't have her pillow around, you'll have her statue statue. Yeah, that's true. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's not like you can buy an action figure. So or, or a real doll Gundam real doll. Oh no! Wait, just wait until they have the Zaku real doll. Just, just wait until three D printers. Wait until three D printers get to the point where they can make silicone based uh, <laughs> builds. Oh dear! Get off the rails. <laughs> I think Gundam's in the jungle. <laughs> so, uh, at the beginning of episode two, um, we learned that Zeon has a secret factory in the area of the Federation uh, base. And jungle. What's that? Oh, sorry. The t- the title's Gundam's in the Jungle. Yeah, I didn't write the, the um, since I've been watching it on Hulu since I didn't buy the DVDs. Yeah. Um, and the the titles are all in Japanese, and I don't feel like translating them. And since I have the subtitles off. <laughs> yeah. Well, this one. Uh, the only note I had before we get into it. This actually came out in Japan on the same day as the first episode. So the first two episodes were simultaneous release. That's cool. So yeah, um, Zeon has a secret factory in the area. And then um, we hear a lot of allusions to a team killer on Shiro's team. Um, but And we find out eventually it's Sanders, um, the guy that Reaper. rescued Shiro in space. Or, I, think in, I think in the sub he's uh, Shinigama Shinigami uh, Sanders, right? I'd have to listen to it again, but that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Shiro introduces himself to his new team. He's got the zero eighth MS team, um, the namesake of the show, obviously. Um, and then they head out. That that does remind me. Right at the end of the third episode, they kind of reveal that he's gonna, he's the new commander. Right. Um, and everyone, like, he's like passed out and everyone's like super shocked that he's the commander. So I thought it was kind of an interesting character, a characterization of him. He never yeah. mentioned it. Yeah. And they, they have some other things kind of before this that like, uh, so we see the blonde guy from the first episode, mm-hmm. who I think has been named at this point. El- Eladoria. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we see him and he's betting the old, guy that we see in the first episode that the new commander will be gone within a week. Um, and then when, before they head out on this mission, Shiro's kind of like, he's like trying to make a speech, but it's just really bad. Everybody. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. This is his first command, obviously. Yep. Um, but there is another scene in here that is a little bit important. Uh, it's kind of in between these uh, scenes of the, at the Federation base. Uh, and this is the Kojima battalion. Um, and all of the teams are MS teams under the Kojima battalion. That was an aside, sorry. Uh, but there's a scene that cuts to that Xeon factory, and that's where you see Ina arrive there, and she gives a guy a hug. And if you're a new viewer, you're meant to think that's like her boyfriend or her Xeon lover or something. Mm-hmm. It's not. 
I mean, or, or maybe it is. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Some specifically for Clover. <laughs> yeah. um, but we also have uh, Mikkel getting uh, assigned to help Elador in the Hubbard truck. He does not get a robot, he gets a truck. <laughs> it's like assistant work in the truck. I can't even get the truck. Yep. Yeah. Um, good so, it sucks. So Shiro is again. They they mentioned this in the first episode. He's never been on Earth before, um, and so he's having issues getting used to gra- Earth's gravity. Um, and uh, Karen Joshua, Chief Joshua, as it is, um, is basically making fun of him, saying he's a shitty pilot. Um, we know from the first episode that at least in space, he's a pretty legit pilot, but yeah, he does look kind of like a doofus here. Um, so of course he has to prove himself to his team, even though he has just given them a speech saying, don't do anything heroic, stick together guys. So of course he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. No, he chases down the Zaku like a dumb yeah, and he doesn't just chase it down. He gets lost in the woods um, pretty uh, bad. Well, I, I think they did, like, a, what was it, a flash bomb or something like that, and it damaged his navigation systems and his GPS and all that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but, yeah, he's basically stuck, so he makes the wise decision of getting out of his Gundam. Yeah, and he's uh, left the detection range of the hover truck they mentioned, so the team isn't able to just track him down easily. Yeah. And, it's, it, and this is a night operation already, so they don't have as much visual aid as they otherwise would. And, yep. and the reason they don't go help him out is because it's his first mission and they don't want to embarrass him. So they're like, yeah, we don't want to like make the new captain look like uh, an idiot on, on his first uh, go around. So yeah. we'll wait for him to show up. Hopefully. So before we get off onto Shiro's here, uh, harem adventure here, uh, I, <laughs> Just to give some notes on the mobile suits that you see and uh, all of our episodes of this podcast with this won't get into all this stuff. It's uh, This is almost the end of my mechanical notes. So most of what you see uh, with the Kojima Battalion is the GM ground type. And these are basically, these are before the GMs that you would see at like the Jabro battle in 0079 or MSG. These aren't the mass-produced ones quite yet, are they? Correct. These are predecessors to those. They were just based on some early V project data, and they kind of just rushed them together. They're like, oh, look, we have some mobile suits now. Didn't they have like a lot of spare parts and crap, and that kind of led to them getting assembled? So that is what the ground Gundams are. So okay. the ground Gundams, which is the RX-79G, yeah. it's basically 80% just a GM ground type with added spare RX 78 parts added on. Mm. They realized that they wouldn't be just mass producing the RX 78, you know, verbatim as it is. Yeah. So they had all these spare parts and then they realized like, okay, white base isn't going to need them. Just ship them out to these random units. And then they can like kind of mix them together with the GM ground types that we just sent out and they can, you know, they, they kind of just managed to make it work. The other place that you see the Gundam ground type is uh, in a manga called Lost War Chronicles, uh, where you see a third unit in Europe. So it's not the third team. This is in Europe instead of Asia. Uh, but in that manga, you see that third unit using them um, as they go towards and then eventually are in the Odessa battle. 
do and this is another tangent but who cares um do they ever address why um like the gundam arc 79 was never mass produced or any of like the the gundam like models so the gm is basically what that is like the original gm is the mass produced gundam but there there's a few reasons one of them is expense but the other is just the fact that and we kind of covered this when we talked about um the third mobile suit gundam movie it's kind of just outspecced already by the time you hit the end of the war. So they're making these advancements so quickly that it wasn't yeah. worth it to continue producing what is essentially an obsolete mobile suit by the end of the war. Well, I remember hearing stuff that the the OSs were different between the like the GMs and the Gundams. I think that was a piece of it. But I just didn't know like if anything ever actually addressed like didn't they talk yeah, about that people couldn't handle that? It was only really for new types that could handle that type well, of. I don't think it was intended that way because when it was designed, they didn't know about new types. But I think yeah. um, it turned out that it was too much for like standard people, except new types. Maybe I maybe I wanted that to be the case. Yeah, that's more of I think the um, the Alex, which we're going to see in the next series. I mean, that was something built specifically for Amaro that just never got to him, and that. I think you could apply that to uh, with the RX 78. I mean, I think it's one of those things where it ends up kind of working off of this preliminary prototype data that Tim Ray had and that they had from the, uh, like the testing of the RX 7801s and things like that. So, I mean, the Federation's really just then like kind of, they're just having to catch up on the mobile suit technology very quickly. Um, and I mean, yeah, I think it's just really generally the, the main RX-78, I mean, oh yeah, OS, mechanics-wise, all of that. It's just very quickly outdated. The yeah. only reason it's so good so long is Amaro. Yeah, I think one of the reasons, one of the things that bugs me about the one-year war is, like, every spinoff and piece of additional companion material always introduces, like, these crazy new suits that, like, for example, Thunderbolt, as much as I love Thunderbolt, the Atlas Gundam annoyed me because it was like suddenly like, oh, this crazy, like way better, clearly way better version of the RX-78 is just floating out there and no one's heard of it, seen it, and EO Fleming just happens to be the guy who get at it. That's well, just I one thing that frustrates me about this, this whole time period. And I, I think I sent you guys a, a picture from volume um, 11 that had like a whole bunch of Xeon mobile suits that did not look familiar at all. And I said, what are these? <laughs> it's, most of those are in yeah. stuff that came before Thunderbolt, oh, but I'm sure there's a few things that yeah. were not. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all probably variants of those things, right? Yeah. I didn't look at it close enough to, I mean, I looked at it, but I didn't look at it and like study it. All right. Now let's get to the creepy part of this show. <laughs> um, so, so Shiro's drinking water from a river because you know he's gotten all muddy and dirty and everything like that. He's definitely going to have some Montezuma's revenge after this, and um, he gets to see some tits. To be to be fair, before he got there, he was like wandering around, falling into mud puddles. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah, like getting leeches on him, and he's like, I hate Earth. This is ridiculous. Like, he clearly never had any survival training. Yeah, um, he's survival. Yeah, so he gets to see tits, and um, it's it's not much of a spoiler because you're going to be listening to the rest of this episode. Uh, she's underage. It's gross. She's 17. <laughs> she's what? 17. 
I don't believe that. Um. <laughs> she is stated to be 17. I No, I, I believe that they state it to be 17, but they... Yeah, I get it, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, let's go to the next part. Uh, we see Ina again, um, and she's talking. It's kind of like a, a small little aside that that hints towards later parts of the series, where they're talking about uh, basically her being a test pilot for the Absolus project. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is around the time where she makes a comment about the dude uh, that she's with taking his medicine. I think this is about the right time. She reminds she reminds him to take his medicine. Then it like cuts to Shiro, and his watch goes off again. The watch keeps going off at random times, and he can't figure out how to change it. Mm-hmm. And it's set in time with when the guy's supposed to take his medicine. And that's that's how Kiki, who is the well, you don't know her name yet, but the girl that he's creepily watching take a bath. That's how she notices he is creepily watching her take a bath. One yep. alarm goes off. Yeah, and she starts shooting at him like you do. She storms over. She's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Bang, yeah. bang, bang. It's worth noting that I think this is a like. This show is extremely light on fan service. So if you watch the first two episodes and go, "Oh, oh, is it going to be one of those that has these awkward fan service moments here and there?" No, it really doesn't. I think it was just a hook. It was a keep watching Japanese guys. Yeah, I mean, it shows up every once in a while, and when it does, it's uncomfortable, especially since they like establish and keep bringing up that she's a minor. Um, <laughs> this is the only like actual nudity. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's the, that is true. Um, yeah. So Shiro gets back into his uh, mobile suit and is shooting after Azaku, chasing after Azaku. And, you know, this, this whole scene just makes you think that Shiro actually is a shitty pilot. Because <laughs> um, he he takes a lot of effort to take this Zaku down. He wastes so much ammo, and this is the one he was tracking the night before, right? And, but he wastes just just a ton of ammo. Yeah, and does he actually? He doesn't actually take it out because it gets away, doesn't it? No, he does. Oh right? yeah, he, he does eventually blow it up. Okay, he like he like hunkers down and like waits for it and aims on it, and then like. He ends up like like Scotty said, unloading into yeah. it. He, like keeps coming at him. He just keeps unloading into it. He eventually, he eventually blows it up. Yep. Um, the other thing that gets noted here is that so there you hear Sanders and Karen talking, and this is to expand more as they're looking for Shiro. Um, you know, this is to expand more on the things you hear about Sanders from the background chatter at the base early on. Uh, so you hear that he's known as Sanders the Reaper, but. Uh, one of the reasons that at least this early reason that Karen states his name is that way, which we turn it uh, eventually we find out there's more to it, but he had six registered kills and a GM already. Oh, time yeah. he gets here. So that's why he has, or at least Karen is asking if that's why he has that nickname. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Six kills. Yeah, yeah. Especially since the GM doesn't exist yet. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the episode pretty much ends with um, Shiro heading off, making his way towards the rest of the team. Yep. And we get our, I don't know if it's the very first one that he narrates over it because I know he was writing a letter in the shuttle on the way down to earth, but we have Mikael writing to BB saying that the commander's gone 
but then he he comes back at the end, so he's got to throw away another letter. Yeah. All right. Um, episode three. Uh, we actually see Shiro starting off the episode looking like a good pilot for once. <laughs> I guess I I guess this is the only episode. Episode two is the only episode where he looked really incompetent. Every other episode, he seems to be a, like a pretty legit tactician and pilot. Um, and so I, I guess that is like the, the explanation w- that was given at the beginning of episode two was, you know, he's never been on earth. He's not used to gravity. So, you know, fighting in space where you can wrap yourself around somebody really easily, like using all three dimensions or whatever, um, is different than running at somebody and shooting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he actually, um, saves, uh, Karen, from a Zaku ambush. Um, so the, oh, go, go ahead. So the mission that they're on here is that what you, or as you eventually find out is, so they notice that, you know, Zeon has been defending and they have a village occupied. And so they see, you know, this highway near it that they think would be a good supply route. So, Zeon's presumably been using that as a supply route, and so they want to take it over for the Federation. Yeah, is that the uh, is that what they were looking for in the last episode? No, I think it was just like a um, patrol uh, in the last episode. I think, and I actually think this episode it started out that they were just doing a patrol because they come up and they see the city, and then they start scoping it out, and they're like, "All right, there's this highway that's like." below the city then there's the city that's kind of like in the middle off on this kind of mesa and then there's like a a zeon encampment above the city well so all of this is that we learn in that in episode two so the federation has some idea that there is a zeon factory in the area and so that first mission they're on is just pure recon trying to figure things out so that it's a slow you know, through the episodes, or at least the early episodes, it's a slow burn. Uh, they're gathering more information and intel on the area until they can try to really pinpoint where this Xeon base is or factory. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they get the idea that they want to um, basically do a pincer sneak attack on the Xeon forces with um, Shiro going behind the village and um, attacking them. And then the other two would kind of like, I guess like they would launch the attack, but they could only hold off so long if the, the Xeon forces were focused solely on, on them. Um, that sound about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they basically, they have these, these pillboxes set up and then there's like no way to, the, the belief is there's no way for them to just fully take it if they just right. fall from the front. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, we can only hold out for like an hour or something along those lines. Well, they- I think they established that they, they can't take it from the front. So they decide, okay, what we're going to do is do a pincer attack. Um, so someone's going to sneak around um, and we'll keep them distracted while you sneak around, but we can only, we can only make it for about an hour. Right, right. So they, the plan was for them to launch a cer- an attack at a certain time. So Shiro had to get um, get into position and launch his attack. Um, use of the watch. Yes. Well, and it's within three hours. And that is where the title of the episode comes from. It's called The Time Limit on Trust. Yep. Yep. So he's got three hours. It's like 24. <laughs> Except we don't have the clock at the bottom of the, the show the entire time. We should. 
that that would have made it more intense. We're going to recast Shiro's English voice actor as Kiefer Sutherland. Love it. it. And the inevitable remake. Screw you, David Hayter. <laughs> but it but it would be awkward with the well. It would be awkward with some of the scenes that happen in here with Kiki. <laughs> would it? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, speaking of Kiki, Shiro is uh, going through to to get to his sneak attack spot, and um, he he sees some locals um, and opens up his hatch and gets his uh, mobile suit taken from him. Yeah, my note here is opens cockpit like idiot. Yeah. So what? That was dumb because she she like sticks her face in the camera and he's like, "Oh, let me open the cockpit to deal with this." Like he grabs his gun, like you're in a giant. He grabs his like handgun, like he's not in a giant killing machine. <laughs> well, to be fair, he didn't want to alert Zeon to his presence, but at the same time, shake the people off. <laughs> I guess, but that was uh. What what I've heard is that this would be the equivalent to your first time driving through Baltimore, leaving your windows down with the doors unlocked. Yeah. I, I, so even if you leave your windows up in Baltimore, you get the kids, like you drive through the, the neighbor, the streets and the kids will come up and they'll like start rinsing your windows off and cleaning them for you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't give them money, then like they spray your car with this dirty water and it's disgusting. And, it happens all throughout the day, even when they're supposed to be in school. Yep. <sighs> I've never, I clearly never experienced this myself. <laughs> Obviously, no. Um, yeah. So Shiro is Kiki. Basically, says that she, you know she's a minor, and that you know everybody points out that she's that Shiro's seen her, her naked, and he kind of admits that looking at naked children is nice. Um, I don't. That's not how he said it. <laughs> that's that's my notes. <laughs> so what what he said was, um, he's like, "Look, I'm not a pervert," and she's like, "Well, then why are you looking at me?" He's like, "Well, because you're nice to look at," which did not defend him in any way. But he didn't say it like, "Oh, you're kidding." I like that. Yeah, and and I think what Luke just said is that is the entirety of it. Yeah, and it's not really brought up again. I think I think maybe Lane was very focused on this. No, because like she does a whole bunch, <laughs> of, a whole bunch of stuff where like she puts his her crotch in his face and stuff like that later on. It's she weird. Clearly, like she clearly has a thing for him. Yeah, which is which is fair. Whatever. Um, by the way, I had a, I had a note about this. Um, if you like Kiki, don't read the book. Don't know if either of you have read the book. Don't read the book. I did. I haven't. Wait, is it a book or a manga? No, no, the novelization of this. Oh, nice. Cool. I might have to read that sometime. Don't, if you like Kiki. Uh, I'm ambivalent. Like, she's a funny character, but... Okay, then go ahead. I'm not attached. So, um, the... Yeah, the, the manga for this is pretty recent, isn't it? I mean, relatively speaking. Wasn't it, like, 2011 it finished or something? Oh, that recent? Wow, no, I, have, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was that new. I mean, they didn't start it until, like, the show had been well, done. Well, didn't the OVA come out in, like, 2013? That was just the, like, nine-minute battle in three dimensions thing. And that was for the Blu-ray release. Because the show was between 2006 and 2009, wasn't it? Uh, 96 and 99. Oh, sorry. I'm not, not 2000. Yeah, 96 and 99. Yeah, the manga ended in 2011. Yeah. So. 
Um, so yeah, so Shiro gets taken to the village boss who is Kiki's dad. Um, and you know, he's actually pretty reasonable, uh, as far as things go, like they don't like Zeon very much and, but he's not willing to, he says he's unwilling to assist in the sneak attack, um, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but they, they do agree to release Shiro in exchange for um, medicine for the village and the spoils and basically whatever they want after Zeon gets kicked out. Um, and uh, Kiki kind of like joins Shiro in his mobile suit. So um, she can extract the payment, make sure he doesn't like run off after the the battle. Yeah. Now the, the thing worth mentioning here is while he's in this uh, custody of this guerrilla group, and he is introduced to the boss, the time limit, there, his three hours, which is at 3 p.m. conveniently, um, that point in time hits, and so the rest of the eighth team has started the frontal assault. And, and at this point, they have the one-hour limit, which he has to get there, or they're going to like run out. Yeah, now the idea is that he was going to start this with them, so he's right. already kind of behind schedule on this. Um the only uh, like neat new thing from the early battle scenes, you do get a look at the Zaku cannon. So this is basically a brown Zaku, and it just has a big shoulder cannon. It's kind of like a gun cannon, half, but Zaku. <laughs> <laughs> they could mold the Zaku 2 model kit in brown. <laughs> One runner with new parts for a cannon. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's camouflage, totally camouflage, definitely tactical, and was there the whole time in the other show, just off screen. It was <laughs> really well camouflaged. Um, so Kiki actually helps um, Shiro get there pretty faster than he would have normally gotten there. He he basically goes underwater um, in this river, which has to be really deep. How, how tall are mobile suits? Like 25, 30 feet? These are about 19 meters, so I guess that's, I don't know, the is it 2.2? That's 60 feet. 60 feet? Yeah. Okay. That's a really deep river because he's like deep in it too. Um, yeah. So he get, he gets there. Um, he he starts his sneak attack, which takes some pressure off of the Zeons. But he, uh, and the gorillas also join in, even though they originally said they weren't going to. Um, and then he gets in an underwater Zaku battle um, with the captain of the Zeon forces. Who makes a comment? Finally, someone who can uh, fight underwater. Yeah, it's just like a thing. <laughs> well, remember that Zeon has underwater mobile suits. Yeah. Do they have them at this point already? Um, they would have. They would have had them. I don't think this particular unit has them. That's that's right. Because yeah. I guess um, Char. This is probably since Garma's already dead. That means Char's already has his um, underwater fish ship. Yep. And uh, yeah, yeah, this this checks out because also this is the point where oh man, I'm trying not to get my timeline mixed up, or because origin and the show are all run together now. So I guess if we're going show timeline, yeah, this would be maybe I don't know, maybe a little early, but they might have some early some early stuff completed. Um, definitely prototypes because they love those. <laughs> So anyhow, but yeah, this Zeon captain is Captain Norris, and uh, he was sent by the Sahalines for a troop inspection. Yep. 
So he gets away, uh, but Shiro clearly had the advantage in that battle. Um, and uh, so Federation wins. Shiro's group basically takes out the, the Xeon forces and the base and everything. Um, and then the guerrillas uh, loot everything, and including some of the Federation stuff. And Shiro, oh, yeah. Shiro definitely does not give a fuck. Everybody else is like, what's going on? And they start ripping apart the tank, and he's like, yeah, we'll just get more stuff. And they're like going through the <laughs> um, like personal pictures and stuff, and it's, it, they're freaking out. And oh, I love that part. Yeah, he's basically like, listen, I survived. That's all that matters. Wow, I took way too detailed notes on the fight. Yeah, um, so the one thing I thought, I think the uh, fight scene that you get here between the Zaku, Norris' Zaku, and the ground Gundam is actually pretty fun. Um, cause Norris has the upper hand in the river, like at the bottom of the river. And, um, you know, so you see Shiro basically getting, well, in part beat by a much more experienced pilot, but, uh, Lane, you mentioned, um, uh, Kiki's crotch earlier, and this is where that is in Shiro's face. And so th- that's another thing that has allowed the Zaku to get the upper hand. Um, <laughs> so I mean, seriously, that is just, that's the blocking of the show. That's what happens. Uh, so what we get to see here a little bit is the payload on the ground Gundam and the ground type GMs where they've got in one part of the chest, they've got some Vulcans and then in another um, stuff. So he, it, from the part of the chest with stuff, he has one of those crackers that we see in episode two. Yeah. That goes off. It's very bright. Then he's able to punch the Zaku and then jump out of the river and shoot the Zaku with Vulcans as he's on the way up and ends up landing on the bank. It's a neat little sequence. And then at that point, because he's hit it with the Vulcans, um, Norris decides to just get the Zaku out of the water and escape. Yeah. I think that's the one you were thinking, uh, got away from him. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Um, well, no, no, I, I, I remember taking notes cause what was happening is I was like, oh, and when he was in the original battle with that first Zaku, um, it, he attacked it and then it kept moving. And I was like, oh, well, he won or he won. And then I was like, oh, it got away. And then like two seconds later, it shows it moving again. So, um, yeah, it, that, it was when he was like having to unload into it multiple times. But yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the end of the episode. They They win. They do their things. And. It's a nice little intro to the the whole show. Kind of, this is kind of like the, I guess the first arc of this the series is like the intro to the team and their first like real like mission together that doesn't include not really just like an intro to Shiro and all the other characters. Yeah, yeah. This is that. It's a nice little first chunk of the show, and also remember it was released as an OVA and not a TV series. So this is also these came pretty quick episodes one and two on the same day in January episode three was out in March of hmm. uh, uh, 96. So they all were generally pretty close together. You look ahead to the next episode and it was October of the same year. Um, Cause again, it wasn't a TV show release. So uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's not like some of those shows were like a Evangelion movie where you have to wait 10 years between each movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Still waiting for movie four, guys. Uh, watch the last one, um, Bel Air. Yeah, yeah. We watched it at my house, like shortly after it came out, and we're completely confused as to what happened with it. Yeah, definitely sober and able to follow everything perfectly. 
<laughs> All right. Well, that's it for episodes one through three. Um, join us the next episode as we go through episodes four through six. Um, thanks for listening in. You can reach us at New Type Flash Pod on Twitter. You can hit me up at Skank and Monkey. Scotty P is Scotty double underscore P. Luke is at Easy Stuff. You can find all of our screen names in the show's bio or whatever. Um, And we will see you next time. Thanks, guys.